Ephesians chapter 3. And for your benefit, I would suggest having a finger in the book of Acts, beginning with chapter 9. I was going to give you uh, a couple references that we're going to look up, but there's several of them. And I don't think you have that many fingers. So we'll start uh, in Acts chapter 9 when we get there. First Peter 1, 10 to 13 says this. As to this salvation, and, and this, is, this salvation is really everything that we have been covering in the first two chapters and really including the third chapter as well of Ephesians. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them, to the prophets. Old te- this is the word of the Lord. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it's not only the prophets, we're told, that were looking into these things, but angels were looking into these things. Things in which angels, and really the word is stooping down low, inconveniencing themselves to look into. It is these things, God's grace, which has come to us through Jesus Christ, which greatly intrigued the curiosity of both prophet and angels. And they have been given to us, and they have been made our treasure. And it is these treasures, the foremost, contextually speaking, being that the gospel brings Gentiles into God's kingdom and into saving grace alongside the Jews, not behind the Jews, not ahead of the Jews, but alongside the Jews. It is that blessed treasured truth it is that grace of god that paul is taking a little detour and a little extra time to elaborate on in these verses in ephesians and i can understand why some of us might be a little more inclined to just you know stay in fourth gear as we're if you were reading through ephesians on your own and not really slow down to first gear through these words. In the past 2,000 years, the church has been so broadly Gentile, and so few Jews really have had anything to do with Christianity that we kind of take it for granted that Gentiles belong in the church, and that Gentiles comprise the church. A Gentile-comprised church really is, is all we're used to, and it's all really we've ever known. And I could understand how some of us might be confused to think that there was that has ever been any other way. And we would be confused as to how anybody could have problems with Jew and Gentile coming together on equal footing and in equal standing. Some of us might be inclined to think, what is the big deal? Why was that such a big issue? But as the New Testament record tells us, specifically in Acts, as we'll see, as well as as several of Paul's epistles, namely where we are in Ephesians, we see that there were people for whom this was a big deal. There were people for whom... Jews and Gentiles getting along together was a big problem. And the solution, while it may be clear and evident to us, it wasn't so clear. It wasn't so evident for them, at least right then. And the issue of how Gentiles fit into the kingdom of God (coughs) and into the society of God's people. And the issue of whether or not Gentiles were given the same access to God whether or not Gentiles were given the same approval and the same 
intercession, the same kindness, the same protection and provision and rights <coughs> and privileges. I, I want you to see this was a very contested matter. It was a it was a massive controversy as Paul is entering into his apostolic ministry. And even with Paul stepping into the fray, even with the great apostle to the Gentiles entering the ring, the contention wasn't resolved overnight. Rather, with his entry, the, con- the contention escalated. And it took the church many long years, at least it took many years for the church at large to both receive and to apply the truths that Paul is distilling in our, in our passage and in the verses that we've been looking at. And the advantage for us is that we have the benefit of standing on Paul's shoulder. We have the advantage of enjoying the fruit of his battle and the battle that other men have fought after they fought it, after they won it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my appeal for us today because this is Paul's appeal for us today, is to come to appreciate, to better appreciate and to better understand his insight to the gospel, to this mystery of the gospel. And that's why why he says in verse 4, by referring to this, when you read it, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Church, Paul wants you and me to see what he sees, to see to see how he sees, to know what he knows about the mystery of Christ. And again, uh, we've said it before, the mis- the, this mystery, it's not something fuzzy and obscured that if you stare at it long enough, you can figure it out. This mystery is something that was utterly concealed and hidden from the knowledge of men until the time that God appointed to reveal it and to disclose it. The mystery of Christ, which was, which was a concealed reality, was that God would unite Jew and Gentile together in a new identity in and through his son, Jesus. In Jesus, the believing Jew no longer identifies as a Jew. In Jesus, the believing Gentile no longer identifies himself as a Gentile. In Christ, they are both what? Christian. Thank you to whoever said that. Someone over here. In Christ, they are both Christian. Verse 4, Paul says... By referring to this, and this has everything he has said up to this point in the book. Salvation coming to Gentiles, chapter 1. Chapter 2, salvation coming to Gentiles specifically or emphatically alongside the salvation that comes to the Jews because it's it's one and the same salvation. To the extent that These two groups are no longer two independent groups who just happen to show up to the same salvation party. They are in God's program effectively one group, one group. All of all of that, chapter one, chapter two and the first couple verses of chapter three, all of that is is really folded up neatly into this in verse four. And Paul, and it's as if Paul is saying that I am saying all this, I am disclosing all of this to you purposefully (coughs) so that when you read my letter, when you read this epistle, you can understand what I know, my insight. You can have my understanding, my perspective into the mystery of Christ It's as if he's saying that I have made the effort not to speak over your heads. I have made the effort (coughs) 
to state it so clearly so that you can track with me, so that your understanding can become my understanding. Namely, that you can see the invisible hand of a sovereign Christ in my life and in my ministry and in recent events. And the purpose of that is not to make Paul, uh, not to enlarge Paul or Paul's ministry in the, in the minds of his readers, but so that they and so that we, beloved, so that we can better grasp what God has done through Paul for Gentiles and for the church. And to help us understand what God accomplished through Paul, we have to first understand, and this is the first point in our outline today, we must first understand the hostility through which, <coughs> through which he ministered. The hostility to the ministry through which Paul ministered. And there was great hostility towards Paul and, through, and towards his preaching. There was great hostility towards the, the preaching and the disclosure that in Christ, Jew and Gentile stood on equal footing in the church. And who did it come primarily from? Yes, there were Gentiles, there were unbelieving Gentiles who persecuted Paul, but the, the bulk of his antagon <coughs> of his persecution came primarily from Paul's former compatriots, the Jews. Why? Because the preaching of the gospel directly threatened the sense of superiority that the Jews enjoyed from having all of their marks, all of their customs, all of their symbols and ceremonies and traditions and customs. All these things were but mere shadows of true religion. In that, in this, they pointed towards Jesus Christ. They pointed towards Jesus offering himself as a substitute for sinners on the cross so that anybody and everybody who looks to him with faith is likewise saved and brought near to God. They found their substance in Christ. And then along comes Paul preaching the message that since Christ came and since he fulfilled his great work, to which all these signs pointed to, that it's pointless, it's purposeless, it's redundant, it's unnecessary and burdensome to require that Gentiles go through all the motions and the rigmarole of the symbols and the signs and the, and the, and the customs, namely circumcision, but also feasts and dietary codes. When the substance behind those things, when, when the true objective behind those things was made clear and was placed front and center in the preaching of Jesus Christ. People can bypass the Gentiles who don't have those signs. They can bypass those signs because their purpose is found in Jesus. And now they can go straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. Straight through the cross, not detour through circumcision, but straight to the cross. And so Gentiles had everything to gain in the gospel message as the way to Christ is made unburdensome. As the path towards forgiveness of sins was made clear and direct and relatively easy as all these unnecessary marks are now removed and put out of the way. On the other hand, you have the Jews who so cherished these marks and customs. They had everything to lose by the preaching that these signs were now meaningless, that at the end of the day they didn't really do anything, and that those who didn't have the marks, those who didn't have the signs, those who were not cut, were brought just as near, and that they were made equals in the sight of God to those who did have the marks. 
And so the the mark-loving and the sign-loving Jews were understandably hostile towards the gospel that directly threatened their sense of superiority. Now, what we, what we could do is, or what you could do in your free time, is do a search for Gentiles in the book of Acts. And this is especially easy if you have a Bible program or Bible software or a concordance. Um, or you could just do yourself a favor and read the book of Acts. It'll take you maybe an hour or two. And you'll find that roughly 29 times you'll see the word Gentile come up. And in most of these instances, you see this hostile antagonism towards the gospel being preached by Paul come out in most of those 29 times. Now, I'm going to do you a favor. Christmas is coming early, and I'm only going to highlight a few. The first is Acts 9, 15 to 16. Acts 9, 15 to 16. Ananias is told that Saul is a chosen instrument of the Lord to bear his name before who? Almost Gentiles, but A for effort, E for effort, A for awesome. That Paul was a chosen instrument of the Lord Jesus to bear his name before Gentiles, or as John said this morning, Gentiles, and kings and the Jews. And the Lord stated what? What what detail did he tack on at the end? A detail that most of us in our flesh would have been happy to have not heard that Paul was going to suffer greatly for his name's sake. And suffer Paul did because of the conflict that arose from him, not only preaching Jesus, but preaching Jesus to who? Gentiles. And just to give you a sense of how unexpected this was, I just realized, um, I, I don't think we... We read it last week, so I, I just cited the verse. We're not going to read it this week. Uh, but flip over to Acts 10.44. Acts 10.44. And this is just to give you a, a sense of how unexpected, how, how unprecedented this was in the minds of the Jews that Gentiles would be brought in, that Gentiles would be brought near, that Gentiles those people without the marks, without circumcision, that they would be brought in and placed on equal footing and made equals. We see even the believing Jews caught by surprise. Acts 10.44, and this, Peter is, uh, has been brought into Cornelius's house. He's a Roman centurion. If anybody's a Gentile, it's this guy. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to to the message and all the circumcised believers, parentheses Jews, who came with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. You could, you could substitute likewise or in the same way, in the same manner as they had been. And we take Gentile salvation. We take the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells Gentiles for granted because, as I said earlier, that's all we know. That's all we have known. <laughs> all the Jews knew, even, even believing Jews up to this point, was that being made right with God rested in laborious law-keeping and custom-keeping. Salvation was of the Jews. Salvation seldom came to Gentiles because they were not law-keepers. They were not custom-keepers. They were, as Paul alluded to in chapter 2, strangers and aliens to the covenants and promises of God. They were far off. But Gentiles coming in and receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving Christ and being made brothers and fellow citizens 
with believing Jews. And, and mark this, as, as Paul concludes in the end of chapter 2, not just being made of the, of, the, of the same people or of the same house, but being made corporately of the same temple where none other than the Spirit of God dwells. I mean, you think about how sa- how utterly sacred the Jews held the temple to be such that they had that law, that wall, that if uh, around the perimeter of the temple, that if any Gentile who, who stepped beyond that wall, his life was forfeit. How scandalous, how shocking, how offensive it is for them now to be told that Gentiles are not only welcomed into the temple, but the, in Christ, they are, corporately speaking, they are the temple. This is radical thinking in the mind, in, a, in the Jewish mind. This stunned Jewish Christians. This, <coughs> this was a difficult pill for, for believing Jews to swallow, but they swallowed it. Unbelieving Jews were more than just stunned. They were scandalized. They were offended. They were angered. This was a scandal of the highest magnitude to them, and so conflict arose. Hostility ensued. Acts 13.42. You can flip over or scroll, scroll down in your iBible. Acts 13.42. Paul and Barnabas were going out. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. And now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes, the the God-fearers were Gentile converts into Judaism. Many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So things are going very positively, very swimmingly. Go down to verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. And you might think, wow, that is awesome. That is amazing. People are showing up to hear the word of God preached. This is good. People are going to get saved. People are going to grow in the grace of God. And then what's the next word? What's the next word? But. That's a contrastive word. There's a shift. There's a turn here. There's a change of course. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were just so happy that the word of the Lord was spreading and God was doing what he was doing. They were happy for Paul. Doesn't matter. No, they they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. And they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. They objected to Paul. They stood against Paul. They opposed Paul, not when they heard his preaching... But when they saw the effects of his preaching. And they were filled with jealousy. The God-fearers, these, these Gentile proselytes, these Gentile converts, had until now, they had come to the Jews. And they had saw the Jews and they had treated the Jews as the gatekeepers of religion. They were the, the, they saw the Jews and they treated the Jews as the resident experts on all things pertaining to God. The Jews were the consults. The Jews were the go-to people 
the Jews were held in high regard in the things of spiritual life and religious life. They were the hub through which these relative few Gentiles seeking the God of Israel came. And now there's Paul and Barnabas stealing the show. Stealing the show. And we know they stole the show because the whole city showed up, or near, rather nearly the whole city. And they flocked to Paul and Barnabas. And in this, in seeing the results, the Jews had come to see Paul as a real thorn in their side that they could not tolerate. And so as verse 45, as, as the end of verse 45 tells us, they were blaspheming Paul. They were speaking ill or, or evil of Paul. They were reviling Paul. They were making Paul out to be a villain. They were making accusations against him. We would say today that they were mudslinging him so that people might turn away from him and turn back to them. Not because they had any legitimate objections to the thing Paul to the things that Paul were teaching but because they were filled with what jealousy jealousy and beloved in in that observation there is there is a a, a word of warning and a word of caution as to what we can do and what roads we can go down when we have a heart of bitterness and covetousness when we fail to be content with our given circumstances. But that's a message for another day. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and they said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you repudiate it, (coughs) repudiate it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, in other words, listen up, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 48. The gen- when the Gentiles heard of this bit, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, now this is the tension Paul is, is, is desiring that we grasp. You have to imagine yourself being one of these proto-Gentile believers uh, uh, being in this first generation uh, of Gentiles who have openly heard the gospel. Paul, <coughs> an ambassador of, this, of the long-awaited Messiah, a man who was personally appointed by the, the long-awaited Messiah and given authority to speak for this Messiah, he publicly rebukes those who had for so long kept you under their thumbs. And he tells them that they are, not, they are no longer in a position to keep you away as they've been doing. He is removing the heavy, heavy burdens that these people have placed on you and your people and your families and your friends. And they don't like it. Because they don't like it, they're not going to listen to him. And because they're not listening to him, he's not going to waste his time with them anymore. Instead, he is going straight to you and straight to your people and straight to your friends. And straight to your families. And he's going to preach grace and peace and the forgiveness of sins and the offer of eternal life in Christ Jesus. He's going to preach to them and he's going to preach openly and he's going to preach freely. And those Jews who insisted that you crawl on your hands and knees and kiss their boots and adopt all of their customs and their ways and their manners and their signs and their traditions and undergo their surgeries 
are not welcome on his platform. Because the time of keeping the doors to the kingdom shut are over. The time, their time of keeping the rest of the world out is over. Instead, the doors are now flung wide open. And people like you, Gentiles like you, are welcomed to come in freely. The Jews didn't like that one bit. So verse 50, they incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. In other words, they, 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 they grabbed the, the ears of the celebrities and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now go to Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So we see, we see the Judaizers getting bolder and attacking the gospel of Paul. And, and they're doing it subtly at this point because they're just adding one mark. There's a whole slew of marks and signs and customs and traditions, but they just add one, circumcision. All you got to do is you just got to get snipped and then you can be saved. Go over to Acts 18.6. Paul, Paul is speaking out against them because he's resisting. They're resisting his gospel preaching, and then he resists their resistance, and then they in turn resist his resistance to their resistance. So Acts 18.6. But when they resisted, this is the Jews, they resisted Paul's attempt to correct them. They resisted and blasphemed. They're doing a lot of that. He, being Paul, shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Acts 21, 27 to 30. He is back from one of his missionary trips. He's in Jerusalem. Verse 27 says, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Why, why do they... Why do they think that? Luke adds, For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed, they didn't have evidence, they assumed, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. I'll go over to chapter 22, verse 1. Paul's giving his defense. In verses 3 to 16, he gives an, an account of his conversion, uh, being confronted by the Lord on the road to Damascus, and how he was blinded, and how Ananias was sent to restore his sight. And look at verse 17. He's giving his defense. He's explaining to them the grounds or the basis for which he is preaching this pro-Gentile gospel. And it wasn't an anti-Jew gospel. It was a pro-Jew and Gentile gospel. He says in verse 17, It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they, they being the Jews, will not accept your testimony about me, namely that Gentiles are welcomed in. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also standing by approving and watch out and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying to him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now they Luke says, they listened to him up to this point. Everything Paul was saying was fascinating and sounded pretty good. Personal appearance by the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and a vision in the temple. Remember, the Jews love their signs. They love their supernatural wonders. Visions are great. Visions of God are great. We're tracking with you, Paul. You're, make, you're making a good case so far. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. Full stop. Hold the train, brother. Because we're getting off. They listened to him up to this point. And you could, there would be a record scratching if I could do that sound effect. They listened to him up to the point where he said that Christ was sending him to the Gentiles. And then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Can you smell the anti-Gentile hostility wafting off the page? Now, if the hostility toward this mystery laid down, it's considered the herald of the mystery. The herald, the, the preacher, the proclaimer of the mystery. And the intensity of the hostility towards the mystery of Christ makes the herald of the mystery of Christ all the more valiant. And it makes his ministry all the more magnanimous, all the more amazing, all the more generous and kind and good of God. Because you you have to get this, you have to mark this, had the Jews had their way, had their hostility found its mark, had had their antagonism reached the conclusions that they wanted it to have, had they had their way, Paul wouldn't have gone out to the Gentiles. And if he hadn't gone out to the Gentiles, beloved, you and me wouldn't be here today worshiping our Lord and Savior. If Paul's adversaries had been successful, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here doing our public scripture reading. We wouldn't be here listening to our to skilled musicians leading us in song and hymn and praise. You wouldn't be here listening to the scripture being opened up and explained and having its exhortations and its appeals be made being laid before you and being pleaded and exhorted to apply them and to pursue them in your life. You wouldn't be encouraged to, encouraged to look upon the Lord Jesus and to cast all of your anxieties upon him knowing that he cares for you. You wouldn't have any of that had the Jews gotten their way. So Paul says, in effect, by referring to this, when you read... When you read this letter, when you read chapter 2, you can understand what it means to me. You can understand how I see the marvelous, amazing, gracious reality that you believing Gentiles positionally are standing right next to me in Christ Jesus. You can appreciate how front and center this whole matter is in my apostleship because I've been appointed for this very thing. (coughs) The 
It's why I've been faithfully preaching this. It's why I have suffered for this. It's why I will continue suffering for this. This conflict, this tension is not only shaped me, it's not only the reason I'm in chains, but it's, it's the means God has used me to, to, to position me where I need to be placed so that I can accomplish the very works that he has prepared beforehand for me to do. That's why I want you to understand. That's why I want you to grasp the insight to this mystery, to, to everything that is going on behind the scenes as it pertains to the mystery that Jew and Gentile are brought together in Christ. Now, a young, a young Gentile believer would have every reason upon hearing of, of Paul's struggle and hearing of the tension and the conflict <coughs> with the Jews. To, uh, the, a young Gentile believer would have every reason to allow those things to undermine his confidence in Paul and in Paul's message. Maybe, you know, something doesn't add up about this. Maybe Paul goofed. Maybe Paul misheard Jesus. Maybe, maybe God really isn't working in Paul's life as he purports God to be doing. Maybe he's strayed somewhere along the way. If his, if indeed his fellow Jews, his fellow compatriots who have the same scriptures, who've been, who've dedicated their lives to studying meticulously the very same scriptures, who have been, who have been waiting for the very same Messiah, if they haven't arrived at the same conclusion about whether we belong with them or not in the kingdom of God, then maybe Paul, someone's made a mistake and maybe it's Paul. There was for Gentile believers very good reason for them upon hearing of the conflict to lose heart at Paul's tribulations, which is why Paul is taking this detour and why he, uh, having concluded what he wanted to say, he concludes in verse 13, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for they are your glory. This whole detour is a defense of the miserable circumstances in his ministry and in his life. The fact that life stunk for Paul in his ministry must not undermine or detour his recipients from the gospel. Rather, they are caused to glory and be encouraged Paul's suffering, Paul's miserable circumstances, his, his tribulations were a reason not to lose heart, but rather to see the invisible hand of Christ upon Paul and upon his circumstances. His chains, his imprisonments, the persecution of the Jews was what God used to propel Paul around the Gentile territories. His imprisonment, the fact that at times he couldn't go where he pleased was the occasion and the means that God used Paul to sit down and write scripture and send letters to the church. Sorry, it's the means that God used to put this blessed text in, uh, into the possession of the church, into our possession. You have Ephesians in your Bible because Paul, because Christ put Paul in chains. Paul's rejection at the hand of the Jews, his imprisonment, his his miserable circumstances, they were all part of the plan. And Paul is specifically saying all this so that we can see that. So that we can see the invisible hand of God in Paul's life and appreciate the invisible hand on Paul's life and that we can glory in the fact that his invisible hand was in fact at work in Paul. 
That's why Paul wants you to see things the way he sees things. That's why Paul wants us to to understand his insight to the mystery of Christ. Not only did God deliver the supreme gift of the gospel of saving grace, which which is obviously paramount. That is obviously obviously supreme. That is chief. Not only did did he do that, but alongside that glorious truth is the fact that God used flesh and blood in in the person of Paul to deliver that good, glorious, gracious truth to Gentiles. And Paul... along with many other faithful men who fought greater battles than I will ever fight and endured greater struggles than I will ever have to go through and suffer greater rejection than I'll ever suffer and greater shame and scorn and ridicule than I will ever go through, who suffered greater deprivation than I will have in my life, who lost more pleasures and privileges that I would that I take for granted. I stand here and you sit there today because Paul was in chains and he was put there by the invisible hand of God. We are where we are today as Gentiles as non-Jews standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and fellowshipping and worshiping here at Snoqualmie Valley Bible Church because of God's hand in the appointment and in the preservation and in the power empowerment and the sustaining of his herald, the Apostle Paul. And by saying that he wants us to understand his insight to the mystery Again, we cannot see Paul's miserable, miserable, undesirable, painful, insufferable circumstances. We can't see the relentless antagonism of his opponents merely as an unfortunate turn of events. That's what skeptics want to tell us. Paul didn't see them that way. Because Christ said that this was going to happen. Christ said he would suffer greatly. Nothing happened to Paul that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't warn him beforehand that would happen. And Paul was precisely where the Lord wanted him to be. And Paul had a choice. Paul had a choice. He could press on. In faithful obedience, he could press on in faithful submission, or he could turn aside and he could do something else. Paul chose obedience. Paul chose faithfulness. Paul continued to trust Paul chose to continue trusting the Lord. And I want to I want to turn this towards you, this application towards you. What will you do? with your miserable circumstances? What will you do with your, un, with your miserable circumstances? What will you do with your unfortunate turn of events? We are in a remarkable time right now, depending on what happens this week. Depending on what happens in the weeks to come, things could change very greatly. Persecution could come soon. It could. I don't know if it will. What will you do, beloved? What will you do in the face of human opposition when God's word is very clear what we are to believe, how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to behave, when God's word is very clear what he approves of and what he doesn't. What are you going to do when your privileges, when your comforts, 
are on the line. What are you going to do? Will you entrust your lives? Will you entrust not only your soul, but your lives, the here and now, to the invisible hand of Christ today, or will you do what is expedient? What will you do? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your wisdom and for your sovereign hand in dispersing the gospel of your saving grace to Gentiles like us through preserving and sustaining and empowering a fallible man like the Apostle Paul. We thank you for revealing your grace and mercy through flesh and blood like him. We thank you for the way that you used him with all of his unique talents and strengths and as well as his unique weaknesses and failures. You used him in such a way that it is not him, nor is it any man that we look to other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is your divine, sovereign, powerful, gracious hand that brought us the gospel. It is your hand that, em- that empowers us today. It is your hand that keeps us. It is your hand that holds us. It is your hand that leads and guides us. And it will be your, it will be your hand that will raise us up in the last day. Lord Jesus, help us here at Snoqualmie Valley Bible Church to be faithful as Paul was. Fill us with contentment and gratitude. Fill us with joy. Fill us up with faith as we recall how you worked through Paul and as you, how you have built up and kept your church throughout history. Fill us up with joy and faith as we recall as we recall your faithfulness to your church despite the frailties and the limitations and even the sins of your people. Grant us the obedience and the faith to present ourselves to you in humble submission as the Apostle Paul did. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.